the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to The Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Welcome, everyone, to The Bible Live. The next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking about all things biblical. We've uh, read this past week, all of our readings came from Jacob's favorite book of the Bible. Actually, Job is my favorite book. Is that right? Okay. Yes, because I learned more about God from the book of Job than any other book. Well, this is uh, then, we didn't By read the way, all of our can readings I introduce from the myself? book of Job. My name is Jacob. Jacob! Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He brought his own audience with him. Uh, we read all of our reading came from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapters, where's my sheet? Well, it goes it from the sixth chapter to Six the end, basically. to 28, to the end of the book. Yeah. And so we'll be talking about the book of Deuteronomy and perhaps even the, the whole, the, the whole, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, now, is Deuteronomy, when people think of reading the law, is it generally speaking they're thinking of the book of is Deuteronomy considered kind of the synopsis of of the law of uh, uh the, the Torah is it kind of It's the, one of the five books. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somehow I get the idea though that for example when the king was supposed to read the book the the law to the uh, people teach the law that yes. basically it was taught taught to be the book of Deuteronomy. Actually, so interesting you begin with that. Uh-huh. Um, by the way, nice to see you, sir. Nice to see you, Jacob. And uh, we should never overlook greetings. Never. Um, especially a goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, at any rate, um, or a bad uh, in Deuteronomy 31, ver- 31 uh-huh. chapter, uh, verses 10 through 13, uh, it's a commandment. You didn't say Deuteronomy 31, did I you? did, because okay. you just brought it up. Okay. 
And, it, and actually, chapter 31, verses 10 through 13, actually commands that every seven years, the king, or the guy functioning as a king, mm-hmm. shall do the book of Deuteronomy. And in history books, it actually records what parts of Deuteronomy. And I am now going to shock you. Are you prepared? I'm generally, every time I talk with you, I pretty much prepare myself to be uh, shocked. Well, okay. Uh, it's because don't walk across the carpet in your socks. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but because we should never, it's like, like me, like Deuteronomy, we should never underestimate something. In fact, may I say, I don't want to be underestimated. I definitely want to be estimated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so at any rate, um, <clears throat> in 31, verses 10 through 13, uh-huh. uh, it says, Every seven years, uh, the king, or who's functioning as the king, uh-huh. shall get together and go over this book. He teaches it. To the people. And the word in Hebrew, don't worry about it, but it's called hakel, which means assembly. You will see Jesus doing it in what's been classified and renamed as Sermon on the Mountain. Right. Uh-huh. And so he's actually doing that. And this is a commandment. The reason he does it because only, and it's a declaration that only the king can do. Interesting. So he's and actually, the people there recognized it sure as did. such, didn't they? And so did the Romans. And so when he does in uh, Matthew seven twenty nine, he says, "They says he does it with he does it, he speaks with authority. Well, what authority? The king. Only the king can do it. So if Jesus' ministry, as we understand, was three years, and this only can occur every seven years, we can actually determine when the so-called Sermon on the Mountain took place. Mm-hmm. And this is a commandment, and only the king can do it. And you'll see it, I believe it occurs seven or eight times in what we call the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the Tanakh. And so it occurs. So this is actually, the Sermon on the Mount is not an original thing. He's doing what is commanded He's in chapter 31. The law. He's teaching the, Torah. Exactly so. That's and, a, and which see, is in a, it's a, they're a messianic claim. In other words, that it's, I'm yeah, but he's also am, claiming, and the, I'm sure it was not lost on the people gathered because actually the word is assembly, and it was, certainly was not messed by the Romans that he was declaring himself a king. That's why, <clears throat> pardon me. That's why when they killed him, put him on the cross, why they put the thing here is the king. King of the they Jews. They knew what they were saying. That's what he was claiming to. The, I wonder why, how and why we miss that. It, I'm just curious because I remember the the first time I realized that is you, you were telling me one time that, uh, you know, I, I read the uh, book of Matthew and, and uh, the gospel of Matthew. And the first time I even read that, you said, I realized exactly what was going on. It was very clear what he was doing, sure. that he was teaching Torah. You will see Joshua doing, does it when they enter the Lamb. Yeah. Um, and actually, the first time it actually takes place is the book of Deuteronomy, because you look at Deuteronomy one one, it says, mm-hmm. these are the words of Moses. Mm-hmm. So he's summarizing, you might say. <clears throat> now, the Greeks named it Deuteronomy. It's not That's not the name in Hebrew. But they named it Deuteronomy, meaning the second law, second mm-hmm. giving of the law, cause, but Moses is reteaching it. Mm-hmm. And at the time of Jesus, this comes as a shocker, too. Are you prepared? Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I'm always. Uh, in the time of Jesus, every Jew, boys and girls, would memorize the, the entire book, book, book of Deuteronomy. Of Deuteronomy. Yeah. That's why in the Gospels, 72 point something percent of everything Jesus says comes from Deuteronomy, because as he's teaching it, he knows they all know it. 
Isn't that fascinating? That is really fascinating, no doubt about it. Throughout the books of the Old Testament, I remember Hezekiah did this. He, the king Hezekiah, had, yes. That's Josiah, one of the instances. Josiah, his, yes, uh, yes. his grandson or great-grandson, oh. I've forgotten, uh, did it. Uh, others you find, but they didn't do it consistently at least. No, but, but. no, because a lot of times there was reasons prohibiting uh-huh. it. But – when Jesus goes up and, I, and I'm satisfied, I know what mountain it was. Mm-hmm. I think it was Mount Tabor. Why do I think it was that? You might ask. Yes, I, uh, ask. What mountain was it? I thought you on? might ask. And it's why because do you Mount think it Tabor, was the Mount Tabor? And actually, Tabor. I used to have a friend when I was a kid named Michael Tabor. Tabor. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Tabor. Tabor. That yeah. Mount Tabor. What took place at Mount Tabor? Well, several things. But the point is, is it's right on the boundary mm-hmm. of Naphtali and Zebulon. Now, why is that important? Because when the Messiah comes, according even to the book in the Gospels, mm-hmm. the first two tribes he must go to is Naphtali and Zebulon. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's why in the beginning of Matthew and some of the stories, it says he went to these two tribes, mm-hmm. and they're children of those tribes. So he's doing it. So when he's on that mountain, he's speaking what's called, become called the, some people call it the Beatitudes, which mm-hmm. is just a way of saying blessings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or, but he's actually teaching the book of Deuteronomy. And everybody knows, everybody knows that only the king can do it. So it's a declaration to the Jews and to the Romans. Mm-hmm. I am the king of Israel. That's what's taking place. But, but again, my question, I wonder why I've, I, I, I've, I've read it and I've looked at it. I've studied it, and I'm 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 ready to say clearly with you. It looks clearly that's what was going on there. That's what he was doing. But it's, I've never heard that before. It's so funny that well, why, uh, see, does this kind of reinforce my idea that that we we Gentiles just really oh, need? Don't, don't don't put yourself down. Come on now. No, no, we really need that Hebrew voice. We need that Hebrew understanding and background, right. or we miss things like that. Well. In all fairness, okay. when I understand that, and that's a, a fairly well-understood thing in the Jewish world, uh-huh. and I, as I say, it's seven or eight times in the Old Testament. I know mm-hmm. Joshua does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all – they do it. And uh, Hezekiah, Ezra, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So – but what's happening – Yeah, is, Ezra does it as well. That's right. Exactly right. So actually what's happening is uh, when I read – and I'm going to be quite frank with you. I never read the New Testament until I was an adult. And so I'm reading it through what you might call Jewish eyes. Mm-hmm. And so when I go down through it, I'm saying, well, I know exactly what he's doing and why. And I said, if I were a Roman, I'd say, this guy's got to go. Jewish eyes. You and your Jewish eyes. <laughs> See what I did there? I took a popular song and turned it around and made it all about you, Jacob. Uh, well, I don't know about all that, but thank you so much for including me. In. You and your Jewish As uh, Yogi Berry used to say, please include me out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, well, yeah, Yogi was so good at those. I mean, it's amazing yeah. what some people can and, do. Uh, would you like to hear my impression of Yogi? Yes, why not? Uh, boo-boo. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, really, really good. Okay, let's see here. We read th- uh, Psalms 37 through 39. Uh, if we want to comment on the Psalms. I don't think we do. This, let's get down to the meat. Then, from Deuteronomy, then um, there's one thing. I, uh, again, I want to pick up on the, the, the reading. The, the Beatitudes is the reading of the law to the people. Um Oh, there's so many things we could talk about in the in the Deuteronomy. For one, let's put it in context that it's not intended to be an exhaustive 
uh, presentation of the laws. You have the Ten Commandments repeated. And then what Moses does is that he expands on the Ten Commandments and kind of gives illustrations of what it means to love your father and mother and so on or to uh, the different commandments. He, but it's not exhaustive. It isn't the sum total of it, uh, the, every rule that yeah, would come out of the Ten true. Commandments. That's right. Uh, so that that helps to know that it's not. And, and may I say, and strengthen your, what you just said, mm-hmm. is that is what you might say is the beginning tradition of what's later known as the a Jewish commentary or what's called Talmud. Talmud. See, uh-huh. Christians have commentaries. Well, Jewish have uh-huh, commentaries. Uh-huh. And it's called Talmud. And this is actually... Moses doing it and saying, and at the end, end of it, in mm-hmm, chapter 31, mm-hmm. and every king shall do it every seven years. Mm-hmm. I failed to mention why every seven years. Well, you know what? I'm so used to the idea of sevens and forties that uh, I just kind of went along with it. Well, every seven years. That's, of course, uh, that's... Well, it's actually... Does it, it come takes, along with the uh, year of Jubilee or something? Well, or no, the, not Jubilee, but Sukkot. Sukkot. Okay. And so we know exactly when it happens. We know what time of year. So we know what time of year Jesus was doing it. Do you know? Yeah, well, you do too. Well, when was it? Well, it comes... Actually, uh, it's a third... Assembly time that's commanded by the Bible for the Jews, uh-huh. and so he's pulling everybody together, and it's Sukkot, and it has to, it'll actually tell you that when, and it's the time. This is what's important. This is the time when slaves are released and other things. Mm-hmm. So see, this is all coinciding together. Every seven years. Yes, huh? So it all coincides. By Isn't slaves, it? you mean servants or indentured servants? servants yes, right? the word, and really, slave or servant, depending on depending on the choice and the skill of the translator. Contractual servant. Well, there's only two ways, and it's actually something we can look at uh-huh. in uh, in the Bible this evening. In fact, I think you included, believe it or not, and uh, because I think yeah, uh, what what was a Jewish bond slave was one of our questions. Right, uh, it's found in Deuteronomy 15. Verses 16 well, and 17. Well, actually, before that, uh-huh. I mean, you started off, uh, let's see, what is it, chapter uh, uh, let's see, chapter, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you know what, it is actually before this was last week, but the truth is, uh, it was about uh, that slavery is a death penalty. Mm-hmm. When it says in the Hebrew and the Ten Commandments, and we just finished the Ten Commandments last week, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when it says you shall not steal... The actually word actually kidnap, kidnap or steal a man, mm-hmm. and so actually the original Old King James will translate it: "You should not steal a man." And it's uh, chapter twenty-one of Exodus, as the one that comes to mind, and it's verse sixteen. Well, I've always noticed that you. It seems like you've repeatedly told us that uh-huh. uh, in the Jewish world that there was no slavery. That's right. The such. word in Hebrew is eved, and it can be pinned slave or servant, depending on but the... But one of the readings this week, it said yeah. something about uh-huh. uh, when you go to battle, you give people a chance to opt out of the battle if you want to. People can opt out of the battle. You always give them a chance to leave the battle scene sure. and a road out yes. before they go to battle. That occurs in Deuteronomy. Good memory, yeah. soapy. Uh-huh. And that's right. And the way that's interpreted is uh, you have uh, you have a uh, you build a road, mm-hmm. and if somebody leaves on that road, you cannot touch them because mm-hmm. they're making the declaration they do not want to fight. 
and you can't touch them. Mm-hmm. That's why it's manifested itself today in Israel, when, like the last skirmish they had with what's mm-hmm. called Palestinians. Mm-hmm. Um, they made phone calls, and they dropped leaflets said, hey, we're coming on Thursday. So that was a way of enforcing the ancient tradition of the road. Mm-hmm. So that people didn't want to leave, they could leave. Unfortunately, many people were against the will, not allowed to leave. They were forced to stay, and yeah. the enemy was hiding behind innocent women and children and that's families right, and that sort right. of thing. And, that, and that's, that's really unfair and unkind. But, uh, okay, so the, the idea is that there is no slavery as such. Well, there's only two ways. You didn't have a Jewish slave, but you evidently, uh-huh. I was listening this week, one of the, I forget which reading it was, but uh-huh. one, uh, they talked about, if they went to the battle after the people were done, and they after the battle, then yes. you could keep the women and right. the children or something as as servants. Evidently, yeah. I, I, you you could, but if you look closely like, at those verses you're referring to, <clears throat> uh, actually, believe it or not, what would happen is the Jewish women, I mean the women of the other peoples, mm-hmm. were treated generally better by the Jewish men than the women. So they had many times put on their, their finest dresses, fix mm-hmm. themselves up, so they become very attractive to mm-hmm. the Jewish men. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish man would be, you know, men being men, would be attracted to them. And it says, okay, if you want to take them, they can go with you, because maybe their husbands or whoever mm-hmm. it is that is dead. Mm-hmm. But you have they have to shave their heads, let their fingernails grow. In other words, they have to become unattractive, so you have to be able to determine that you really like this person. You didn't get attracted because you were lustful. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so listen, uh, do you want to take one of those phone Sure, let's go to Rich on line one. He's calling in okay. uh, to visit with us. Hi, Rich. Good evening to you. Gentlemen, good evening to you. Good to hear Jake. your voice. What's on your mind tonight? Sophie, could you turn that up just a tad? I can't hear it. I'll give it a shot. Uh-huh. Jacob uh, invited me to call back in. We're the guys that are showing the movie in San Antonio Tuesday night. Wonderful. I'm glad you did. I was actually going to ask Jacob about it myself, If, if uh, you know how the preparations are going for the movie. Tell us all about it and let our listeners know as well. Okay, this movie's called Play the Flute. But it has nothing to do with a musical instrument. It's about a youth pastor who takes over an indifferent youth group to try to motivate these kids to read God's Word. But more yeah, important, it actually comes from, if I understand correctly, Rich, it comes from, there's a passage in the New Testament where Jesus talks to his uh, disciples, or he talks, somewhere he's, he's talking about how shallow the people's devotion to God was. That it was like, well, you say play the flute, and I play the flute, you know. Yes. Is that the idea? I can't remember the exact passage. Matthew 11, verses 16 and 17. You're exactly right. And um, so he tries to motivate these the kids to get serious about the Lord. This movie is for everybody. It's just not for teenagers. But obviously, we'd like a lot of teenagers to come. Mm -hmm. We're playing it. It's just one showing Tuesday night at the Regal Live Oak, Um, and they can get tickets on our website which is playthefluteMovie.com. They could purchase them that night. We still have some available. And if they want to contact us, just go to my website, go to that website, and you can email me, and I can tell them more about it, but they can watch the trailer there. But we've been really pleased with the response of this film, and we feel like that uh, it can motivate people. And if you're listening and you know someone has kind of drifted away from the Lord or you're not sure where they are spiritually, take them to see this film. It'll touch their heart. The gospel is clearly presented. We do have some name talent in it. Clint Howard's in this movie. You guys remember him? That's Ron Howard's younger brother. Uh-huh. 
Ron Howard, of course, was the, O.P. The, Taylor. The unhandsome Howard brother. <laughs> Evidently. Well, he is a very intelligent guy. He really is. What I don't know what his IQ is. Yeah, uh-huh. he is. He's very... Um, Fred Grandy's in this movie. Fred, of course, sure. played Gopher on The Love Boat with Gopher, the Congress yeah. for eight years. Mm-hmm. And Loretta Swit is in this movie. People remember her from MASH as yeah, Margaret Hewitt. Yeah, exactly right. I was amazed. Can you tell me something, Rich, about these uh, uh, men and women when they're involved in a movie like this, which features uh, the gospel, which features you know a, a discussion and treatment of uh, the, the the theme of God and, and God and people and so on and, and faith and religion and even church and that sort of thing. Uh, what is it like? I mean, you, you don't ever see this side, uh, I, I guess, with Loretta Swit. I don't remember. I assume that maybe there was some MASH episode somewhere along the line that that talked about faith and God and maybe uh, I, I know the, the chaplain who well, I've forgotten his name was part of the uh, the cast and all. yeah part of the cast and all but uh, do they in a movie well, like the, this do they the ever do they ever reveal yeah. kind of a a, a faith side of their lives and, and yeah in many cases because we've had a chance to work with Gavin McLeod and Sean Astin and Robert Guillaume Patty Duke and some people and and. First of all, actors like to act, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. right. And so you're offering the job. But I really believe that when they read the script and get involved, they realize that these movies have a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think they feel good about it. Um, it's like, not I know just, this summer when we were editing. It's not just simple storytelling. It, it, right. In other words, realize it, that. look, most films are for the glory of man. Mm-hmm. These Christian films are trying to, you know, for the glory of the Lord, and they're trying to motivate people to get right with Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think they feel good about it. I really think there's a lot of name actors in Hollywood that would like to do faith-based films, I really, if people would offer them to them. Mm-hmm. Certainly there's some that would worry about their careers. But I think the industry, everything is so much more dissected than it was years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it. 20 years ago, you wouldn't have Christian movies playing in the theater at all. Mm-hmm. But now true. it's mm-hmm. a common occurrence. And, you know, look... Um, all of them, I think, enjoyed working on this project and care about it. And, you know, um, I think there's a lot of actors out there would like to do these movies if we ask them. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we have limited funds, right? It's not like we're paying big dollars. And right. so yeah. if you're going to go for the, quote, big names, you know, but uh, like Tom Cruise, or something, I'm just thinking, you know, and not saying he would do a Christian you, film, but you never know. Level, you're not on the level of DreamWorks yet, right? No, no. <laughs> But, you know, I think we have a good team, and hopefully the people will give this movie a chance. You know, I did another movie called Time Changer. I did a movie called The Secrets of Jonathan Sperry. So maybe a couple listeners have heard of those. Right. And, you know, we try to do good work, and I think this movie can really be used. See, here's the thing. I wish Christians would look at these films as opportunities. First of all, they're going to get encouraged. They're going to get a little spiritual meal. This is not just an evangelistic film. Uh I think this is going to challenge believers a little bit to get more serious about the Lord. But it does have a crystal clear, passionate gospel presentation. If you know somebody that needs to know the Lord, bring them to this movie. So this and it's coming up fast. It's Tuesday night Tuesday at seven evening. o'clock. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, where and exactly, so, Chris? I might, I'm sorry, Rich. Where exactly would a person looking for this movie find this movie in San Antonio? At the Regal Live Oak Theater at seven o'clock Tuesday night, and they can go to our website, playtheflutemovie.com where they can watch the trailer, 
They can buy tickets right there online, or they can email me. They can call me, and I can give them some more information. They can buy tickets at the theater that night. They just buy them from us, from our from our sponsors, and not from Regal. Sure. The box office doesn't sell tickets. You go, you say, I'm here for Play the Flute. They'll tell you to go to theater number seven, and that's where our people are. And uh, we still have seats available. But we're hoping for a great night, and, you know, we appreciate you guys letting us tell your audience about it. Actually, Rich, I have a ticket, and I did not ask anybody for a free ticket. I actually bought it from your sponsors. I really appreciate that, Jacob. You're supporting the movie, and we really appreciate it, and it'll be interesting to see what you think. Hopefully you'll shoot me an email and give me your pro or con, but I I think the movie will will touch you. I really do. And it's an excellent cast. I read 1,200 actors to cast this movie. There's a new thing out called eco-casting. used to be in the day. If I got one more minute, I'll explain this. Mm -hmm. You know, you would do live auditions. Like, for example, Jacob, let's say you came in and you were going to audition and you read three scenes. I love actors. I care for actors. I would never embarrass an actor. So if you prepared all three scenes, I'm going to sit there and listen to all three scenes. But literally, after the first two lines out of your mouth, I could have stopped you and said, nope, you're not right for this next. Well, with eco-casting, it's different. For example, when I put out... Um, on the breakdown for my lead kid in this, the lead teenager, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. By 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I had 1,300 entries for this role. Mm-hmm. And so I went on there, and I just picked 200 guys that I thought looked the part, and in one email, it explains to them, we're doing a faith-based Christian film, we're shooting in Kentucky, here's when we're shooting, here's the pay grade, here are four scenes, you got one week to send me a video. Mm-hmm. And you'll get about a 60% return on that. Mm-hmm. So within a week, I have 120 auditions to watch. And literally for me, when I watch the auditions after one or two lines, it's next, nope, he's too Southern, he's too old. In other words, and you can roll through them. That's how hmm. you read 1,200 auditions, because you could never do that many live auditions. I've always never. wondered how a, uh, a director, does, is that the director's role to choose the uh, casting, or do the casting, or I guess you work with someone else maybe in the team? Yeah. Initially, you would hire a casting director that would narrow the field for you. And then, for example, she says, I got seven guys that I think are good for this lead role. Mm -hmm. And the director would come in and just watch the top seven. In this particular movie, because I like the casting process, I did not hire a casting director. I did our own casting. I dealt with the name talent, and I dealt with these. Mm -hmm. But by doing eco-casting on video, it made it a lot easier. And I got to see so many more actors than I would have saw in me, it was actually easier than doing live auditions. It really was. i got to ask you this question. Do you mind staying with us just a little bit through this break? We have to take a break right now. No problem. I'd like to inform myself a little bit more. I've always been kind of curious about the uh, the casting process. Sure. So I assume you go into that process with an idea in mind of kind of what you think this character is like, his his burying, his, you know... Uh, uh, I'll give you, on the other side of the break, I'll give you the, a couple clues. I'd like to hear that. I really would. Thank you, Rich, for calling in. We'll come back and visit with Rich in our next segment. This is the Bible Live, the quiz show. Uh, we're talking about uh, the book of Deuteronomy tonight is our discussion. But uh, this fits right in. The, this film of faith and so on, we'll, we'll be glad to talk with you about that. Uh, play the flute movie.com. You can go there and get tickets and inform yourself more about this Tuesday evening here in San Antonio. Uh, We'll come back and talk about it more with Rich, uh, the uh, director and producer here. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Praise has the power to lighten our heaviest burden. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading, titled The Mood Mender, was written by Linda Washington. As I waited at the train station for my weekly commute, negative thoughts crowded my mind, like commuters lining up to board a train, stress over debt, unkind remarks said to me, helplessness in the face of a recent injustice done to a family member. By the time the train arrived, I was in a terrible mood. On the train, another thought came to mind. Write a note to God, giving him my lament. Soon after I finished pouring out my complaints in my journal, I pulled out my phone and listened to the praise songs in my library. Before I knew it, my bad mood had completely changed. Little did I know that I was following a pattern set by the writer of Psalm 94. The psalmist first poured out his complaints. Rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? He didn't hold anything back as he talked to God about injustice done to widows and orphans. Once he'd made his lament to God, the psalm transitioned into praise. But the Lord has become my fortress, and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. God invites us to take our laments to Him. He can turn our fear, sadness, and helplessness into praise. Now you can get Our Daily Bread delivered fresh to your inbox. Sign up for the email devotional when you go online to getodbtoday.org. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Remember when there was a radio in every room in the house? Well, those days are back. And thanks to Alexa, you can listen to us anywhere. Find out how you can get AM630 The Word through Alexa by going to am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. In the last uh, 50 years or so, there's always been a group of winsome young guys, the proverbial boy band, singing songs of love won and love lost. Why Don't We is the newest teen group of that sort. Their debut album, Eight Letters, is engineered to make tween and teen girls swoon. Why do I pull you close and then ask you for With the exception of a few lyrical lines that talk of drinking and some lightly intimate activities, there's little on this album that's really steamy, especially when compared to so many other popular artists today. But there's no hiding what's really on these boys' singers' minds. For a full review, visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Family, Plugged In.
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. my lens i got so caught up in the music <laughs> i was telling that's one of my favorite old songs from the years and years ago our kids used to perform that in in uh, school uh well great we are back this is the bible live rich is on the line with us he's the producer of the movie play the flute uh play the flute play, <laughs> play the, the flute, flute. that's yeah. the name of the movie but it's play the movie.com where you can go to find information it's coming to san antonio this tuesday evening at the regal theater there in uh, converse right Jake, live, Oak. Pat, live Oak, Live Oak, Pat, Live Oak, but it's at Pat Booker and 1604. 1604, okay. So get to it, folks. It's going to be a great movie, a great evening for the the Christian community across the city. And, of course, if you have friends and others, the, the theme of the movie, generally speaking, is, hey, let's get serious about our faith. And was there ever a time, Rich, when we needed that message? I mean, uh, I'm not sure if there's a, been another time where we need, we've become shallow, we've become lackadaisical in, in terms of our approach to God and things about our commitment to Christ. And, and so this is a great, great film to stir us up and to remind us of how important it is, uh, how our faith is to our individual lives, or to our community, to our nation, in fact. So, uh, Rich, is, uh, we were going to talk just a little bit about uh, you had mentioned the process of casting for this film, uh, and you have some very in- interesting uh, cast members, Loretta Swit, you've mentioned the Howard brother, I've forgotten his first name again. Clint. Uh, Clint Howard, uh, others, uh, uh, Gopher, uh, what was his name, Gopher? Fred Grant. Yeah. Fred Grant. Some yep. great, great, uh, well-known names in it, and I, and I had asked you about the, the uh, casting process. When you cast for, let's say, the main character, the teenager main character here, I'm guessing you must have you know the script so well, and you know what you kind of picture in your mind what this yes. – maybe it's an arrogance, oh. maybe it's a pride, maybe it's a broken young man who's kind of suffered a great deal. Do exactly you have a right. picture in your mind already when you go to the casting process? Yes. What you do is when you put down what's called the breakdown, uh-huh. and then you'll describe a little bit about the character. Like one of the characters in this movie stutters. Mm-hmm. Okay, a girl. Uh-huh. All right, so so it gives the actor an idea of what you're looking for. Now, here's a secret that I learned when it came to acting. Like, for example, let's say, uh, Jacob, you were going to read a role for me. And lots of times an actor will say, how do you want me to read this? And my reply is always, whatever you think is best. Uh-huh. 
because I want the actor to utilize their gifts first, because in, in some cases, their interpretation may be better than mine. Uh-huh. And then if I don't like the way they're going with it, I'm going to push them to where I think they need to go. Uh-huh. I think this is a good way to deal with actors, because many times, for example, one time I cast this kid and he had an Australian accent. And so in working the script, he wanted to change a lot of the dialogue to make it sound like, because he's from Australia, he'd say, mate, I would say it like this, but without changing the, the, the idea. And those were good ideas. I said, sure, I'm going to go with that. You've got to be flexible. Uh-huh. The other thing is Robert Wise was a famous director. He did the movie Sound and Music that uh-huh. most people know. And he made a great statement. He said, 80% of the director's job, cast the right person in the role. And I so agree with that. If you cast the right person, then when you get on set, your job is going to be a lot easier. Um, that's why the more people you can look at in auditions, and the other thing you have to think about in casting, too, is you always want to get a second. And what I mean like that is, for example, let's say, I was going to, let's say I was going to cast Jacob, but then he decides not to do it. I'm hung out to dry unless i got somebody that can take his place. Uh-huh. So I would try to cast somebody that I want, but if he's going to want too much money or play hardball, for example, with this particular movie, I had to cast five kids, and three kids that I tried to cast turned it down for various reasons. One didn't want to go to Kentucky. One was in a series in L.A. and didn't want to miss. Okay, so I needed to be prepared to have somebody to back them up, and I feel like the five kids we landed with are the five that the Lord wanted in the movie, mm-hmm. and I'm very thrilled with what I got. So the casting process is very important because, you know, there's three things when it comes to a movie, script, cast, and locations. I tell this to the younger filmmakers all the time, and a lot of the younger filmmakers, what they're worried about, they're trying to come up with the coolest camera shot to impress Spielberg or something. Mm. The audience doesn't notice camera shots, but they notice a bad script. They certainly notice bad acting, and the locations and the scope of your movie are important. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the look of your film, and so that, those are three areas that we try to focus in. You know, my brother and I, we write our own scripts, and I love casting. If there's a fun process of filmmaking, because shooting the film is not fun <laughs> but casting is because the characters bring your script to life mm. and now, now the one thing different with the name actors you can't audition the name actors you just offer the role to Loretta Sweat. You just offer the role to Clint Howard because you've seen their past work right. and you have a sense and I'll give you one last thing to you about I put on a breakdown for Loretta, Loretta Sweat's role I put what we were willing to pay and it went out privately, you know, X amount, we're willing to pay this. And I had 400 entries. I said, name, talent only. Well, we had like 400 entries that agents thought were names. But we had, for example, Angie Dickinson, Leslie Ann Warren, uh, Lindsay Wagner, Linda Carter. There were a lot of people that you've heard of because mm-hmm. this particular role was between the age of 60 and like 75. Uh-huh. Like I said, actors want to act and these were all willing and interested to be in our project, mm-hmm. you know, because we were going to pay uh, not a huge amount of money, but it was respectable, uh-huh. and actors want to act. So, oh, yeah. I, I, it's know, a, I, I find the process so so amazing. My daughter, uh, right after college, went out to Hollywood, and she ended up working for Judd Apatow uh, for five years as with him and Leslie Mann in their, in their movie productions. And of course, a whole different genre of movie, <laughs> nothing about faith, uh, pretty much a waste. 
a wasted uh, efforts in a lot of ways. I I don't particularly like Judd Apatow movies, but but I got fascinated with that. I went out and visited with Stacy a couple of times when she was, uh, I think, when they were filming uh, Bridesmaids and uh, a couple of others. And it, it is an amazing process, the creative process. Uh, it, it's kind of, I guess, storytelling, twenty uh, first century. It, it's just. Isn't it astounding where movies and, and, and special effects and the, moving pro, the movie process is so astounding to me what they can do on, on film, particularly when you get into, um, let's say, sci-fi and special effects and that sort of thing. It's just amazing uh, what movie storytelling has become. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned visual effects. For example, Jacob, you're going to see our movie Tuesday night. There are 30 visual effects in that movie that you'll never notice. In other words, we don't do explosions and stuff like that. But uh-huh. it's amazing. I'll give you an example. This la- the last film I did was a movie called The Matter of Faith, and we shot an exterior shot at USC that we used. And there were a bunch of bikes parked in front of this that we used. It, it was a college. We needed a college dorm room. And there were about 20 bikes parked in front of it. It looked like too many. And my visual effects guy went in there and wiped out about five or six of those bikes so there were less bikes. And if I could show you that shot, your, your draw would drop. How in the world did you do that? <laughs> in fact, we, we, the trees in front of the, the dorm, all the, all the leaves were off. So he added leaves to both trees. So it looked <laughs> like it was... I mean, it's amazing what they can do. And you're right. It's really come a long way. Look, movies are powerful. We know that. The enemies use them to destroy morals, destroy marriages, destroy families. Right. The Lord can use them, too. Exactly. And our commitment is to try to produce films that first please the Lord. Second, we want to put truth in them to motivate, inspire the Christian, and we're going to share the gospel so a non-believer will consider Christ. It's just a lot of Christians don't give these films a chance, or they no. go and they're disappointed. See, what bugs me as a Christian filmmaker, a lot of films get called Christian and don't say one word about Jesus. Uh-huh. To me, what makes it Christian, you talk about the Lord. That's what makes it Christian, and we've learned not to preach at people, but reach people. We're not just throwing it in there. You'll see when you watch the movie Tuesday night, you'll see that I think that it's a, it's a well-thought-out script. We work hard on it to try to present truth intelligently and that the audience will, will think about it. We're talking with uh, Rich Cristiano, who is the producer-director of uh, Play the Flute, and it's coming to our city, San Antonio, Tuesday evening. Now, uh, to uh, with a, just a slight little bit of pride in our own community, Rich, we are, we are a great community for uh, artists and movies. We, uh, many have come, and, and our people turn out. They enjoy them. They support them. Uh, Lee and Ruth Roscoe are your local representatives. They're friends of the broadcast here. And, of course, they, they've told, called in and told about the movie as well. So we really want to encourage our listeners, get out Tuesday evening. Go to the Regal Theater there uh, in uh, Thousand Oaks and uh, at 1604. Live Oak. And Pat Booker. Live Oak, I'm sorry. It's Live Booker. Oak at Pat Booker and 1604. Yeah. And it's called Play the Flute. You can go to playthefluteMovie.com, Play the Flute movie.com you can buy tickets there you can uh, get involved at, even communicate here with rich uh, cristiano ask questions get him more information a great place to take folks who are interested in faith uh, that are looking for faith uh, uh, someone who maybe needs to know the lord it's a very clear evangelistic presentation but also uh, 
uh, I would say probably even mostly the focus of the film is is to fire up, you know, fan the flames of faith and fervor and commitment in yeah. the lives of believers already. I, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rich. Yes. Okay. Without giving a without, ruin, without ruining the plot, who wins yeah. in the end? Oh, you got to watch. <laughs> There's a lot that happens in this movie. A lot of little twists and turns, you know. Um, I, you know what? I think everybody will be touched at the end. I'm going to guarantee you that. I, I think uh, the people that go to see uh, the movie will be the winners, ultimately. Right. You know, Loretta Very, Swift. Isn't that, isn't that a good way to say it, Rich? Yeah, she <laughs> was in the movie, the TV show Mass, as uh-huh. Rich said. And do you know what Mass stands for? Mobile Army. Army. Something hospital. Surgical. Surgical hospital. Uh, that's right. And you know, I asked her one mass question. I said, Loretta, and Loretta was very nice. I said, Loretta, what's your favorite moment in MASH? And she copped out. She goes, all of it. That's what she said to me. Yeah. And lots of times, here's something. You know how actors that were on famous TV series kind of want to shy away from it? Uh-huh. Not her. She's very proud of it. She's happy to, I think it was on, what, 11 years? Oh, yeah. Loved yeah. all of it. And is not ashamed of it at all, et cetera. I'm glad to hear that because I, I, it was a great series. It really was. They yeah. they did a good job. Treated they treated a lot of and serious. She's remained friends with Alan Alda and all because Loretta lives in New York. And uh-huh. in other words, she's friends. Some of the actors have passed away, but they've all remained very close. That cast. So that's nice to hear. You know. Great, great. Actors are a different breed, gentlemen. I, my two favorite groups are actors and pastors. Seriously. And the, the, I love my pastors. <laughs> because we rent our films to a lot of churches and stuff, so I love talking to pastors. And actors have an energy. What I like about actors, especially young actors, they have ambitions, they have dreams, they have hopes. And there's an energy about them, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, we try to encourage them to use their gifts for the Lord. And, you know, um, you know, we I cast... I want to put believers in believers' roles in this movie, and the guy that plays the lead in this movie, his name is Brett Varvel, who's actually a Christian filmmaker, a solid believer. He believes every word he's saying in this movie, and he can really rep the film. I'm very proud of him. But all the other actors, we're just trying to cast good talent. Mm-hmm. You know? And now a couple claim the Lord, but we're hoping the movie influences them and impacts them. In fact, one of the kids... At the end of the movie, said Brett, um, and told Brett, I'm going to get more serious about the Lord as a result of this script, as a result of the being in this film. That's great. So you never know what God yeah. can do with these. Now, Rich, have you ever met Dr. Larry Poland with Master Media? I just wondered if curiosity. Uh, Larry has been working in Hollywood yeah. for a lot. Of, he was a former Campus Crusade staff member that I knew. Uh, I, I work, I'm on staff with Campus Crusade myself for 47 years now, well, a little bit of a... Uh, he started when he was eight. Uh, yeah, that's very young. But anyway, I just wondered if you knew Larry. Larry uh, works out with Master Media in Hollywood with actors and actresses. I, if you don't, I would. I, I really want to encourage well, he you guys answered, to but, get to know uh, each other. We didn't hear him. What was your answer, Rich? I met him one time. At, we were like at a, a, a dinner or something together. And I know that you know I used to get their newsletter where they pray for actors and uh-huh, stuff. Uh-huh. And you know, I know a lot of guys are trying to. Uh, influence the industry. My attitude is always this. Let's say the guy that runs Universal Studio, the president, gets saved. That's good for him. He'll lose his job. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> in other words, 
we're trying to build the Christian movie industry. Come out and be separate. Build the Christian movie industry. The uh-huh. theaters are not against faith-based Christian films, not at all. Right. The theaters just want to put people in the seats and sell popcorn. Uh-huh. They'll they'll put your home movies in there if we can get people to go watch. <laughs> so we have a, a neutral venue. Theater to me is the best place to watch a movie. They're not against these films. It's all about box office and doing business. Now what we do. We, our movie it will be a private showing. We rent the theater. It's a private showing. That's why we sell the tickets. And during the week, it's normally relatively slow, so the theaters are opening. Regal, we have a very good relationship going with Regal. Mm-hmm. They're very professional. And, and to me, this is a good way to present truth in an entertainment medium. Excellent. Yeah. Great, great. Well, thanks, Rich, for being yeah, with us. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. And, uh, hey, would you like to hear a joke that I can get away with telling? Yes, I would. And I would like to hear it again myself. So, anyway, I made this up. Soapy knows the joke. But I can get away with this. And uh, since you're talking about filling the seats, selling the tickets, eating the popcorn, uh, I'd like to say that I can prove Jesus was Jewish. Would you like to know how? Yes, I would. It's because he tells everybody to go out and work on a great commission. I remember that from last week. It was it was good last week too. Uh, he I appreciate you guys. Joke. Thank I, you Rich, for I, calling I, in. Lord bless you both. Okay, you have a we'll, we'll, well, hopefully, uh, are you in the movie by any chance? No, I am not in this movie. Oh, I just wondered. Okay. My wife is. Uh, oh yeah, we'll look for her. He'll show you where she is. Okay, All right. Lord. All right. Oh, All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Oh, that's great. I enjoy it. The movie, the film industry, what it's become, and particularly the, uh, the Christian film industry, it's just, uh, they're doing so well. They're, the people are waking up maybe in Hollywood to realize that faith is alive. It's important to people mm-hmm. to make the, uh, movies about a theme of faith, about God, about uh, uh, a, a coherent worldview without making fun of the Christian pastor or the priest or whatever uh, and, and tearing them down. But but that faith is a part of, of people's lives. That people want and desire a coherent worldview that makes sense, that brings them comfort, that brings them understanding. And uh, so this could be a great opportunity. Play the flute, movie coming to San Antonio Tuesday evening. And do you know one reason I asked him about the the mash is because uh, I was on the DMZ. And uh, that's right, you know, right between North and South. Demilitarized uh, zone. Yeah, the DMC, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there was a mass hospital there. And one night, it was late, and uh, I had walked up there, and I saw this little Vietnamese child that was kind of out, out on the, you might say, the back porch. And I've never forgot this. I'd say the child was like three, maybe four. Mm-hmm. And he kept trying to set up. And he couldn't set up, so I was going to walk over and kind of help him set up. And I walked up close, and I found out why he could not set up. Both of his legs have been cut off at almost at his hips. Mm. And uh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and our surgeons had taken care yeah, of him. Yeah, he was healed. He was, he was healed. He was all stitched up, and he was recovering. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he couldn't set up. Well, that I, I saw, you know, when you watch MASH in those areas, a lot of times, yeah, they were taking care of American personnel, but also... Uh, being medical persons and, and Americans, I guess there's something they were willing to take care of uh, the Vietnamese people as well, and even the, some of the enemy at times they would take care. And uh, it's uh, the medical world is quite interesting in, in that 
in that sort of a sense. So you were in the DMZ. Were you just over doing a photo op or something, or what? Uh, no, no. Did Uncle I, Sam have you over we there? We were we were interviewing the North Vietnamese soldiers. You might say. <laughs> and you were, you were. We were casting parts. You might say. <laughs> there you go. Well, we are back. We're talking. This is the Bible Live, by the way. Let's talk about and something in Deuteronomy. Uh, let's talk about Deuteronomy. Right, listen, and we just talked about the Sermon on the Mount and how that relates, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about something that's really fascinating. A lot of people don't know these verses, and this is part of your choice reading this evening. Okay? Yes. All right, look it. at chapter 23 of Deuteronomy. Yes, I'm in, I'm in it. Right uh-huh. Now, the version I'm using is from the Hebrew, so my numbers are, I think, one off from yours mm-hmm. at this point. But I think in your version it's 15, and mine it's 16. So would you be perhaps kind enough to read from your version? Uh, chapter 23, 23 f- verse 15. Uh-huh. If slaves should escape from their masters and take refuge with you, you must not hand them over to their masters. Let them live among you in any town they choose and do not oppress them. Now, do you know what the word oppress means? Charge them. That's right. In other words, if somebody's been a slave, he comes to you, and look what it says. It says, you shall not turn him over to his master. So a guy's a slave. He escapes. He comes to you. Slavery was forbidden by God except in only two instances. And, but this, but not, this is only among the Jews because they were following God's laws. Other societies had slavery just making people work. Uh, but in this particular instance, so let's say one of those slaves from another people escaped, came to you. You hide him. If his master comes and asks for him, he just says you do not turn him over to his master. And you don't taunt him or oppress him. In other words, you don't charge him any money to hide him. Some people might. In other words, and it says he can live among you where he chooses. Now, this always comes kind of a, like a tough thought to some folks because it's actually saying – that, you know, uh, I'm not supposed to turn him over to his master. And you see, the lesson that we're supposed to derive out of this and other verses in the Torah Mm -hmm. is that, yes, a person, a human being, is worth more than perhaps what you might call a little white lie. Uh, But you're not to turn him over, and you don't charge him money to hide him, but he gets to live among you wherever he wants. And these are typically... Not Jews. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. And uh, <clears throat> now this is uh, not to bring up a, a controversial topic here. Oh, but th- yeah, yeah. I know in the book in the New Testament, uh-huh. there is a slave. In, oh, yes. there, A famous slave from uh, Onesimus. Onesimus yeah, is his yeah. name. And he, not that I've ever heard the verse. Philemon, is it? Uh, Philemon, the book of Philemon yes, uh. is a letter that Paul wrote. Ah. Paul meets this uh, slave who has escaped from, who has run away from his master, uh-huh. and he, I, I believe, I can't remember what their hometown was. Was it? Um, well, whatever it is, what's the story? It was. It was New Jersey. But, but so. Paul writes back to his friend uh, Philemon, who is the evidently a wealthy, evidently uh, a Christian person believer, uh-huh. and he. Uh, sends Onesimus back, but he's it, it, it's not like so much sending him back to his owner, but he he asked he asked him to receive him in the same way that you would receive me. Uh, and if he owes a debt, I will pay it. Then I will pay it. Now, see, there's only two instances in the Bible, in the Jewish Bible. There's only two instances where a person may be a quote unquote slave. One is. 
as if I'm a thief. Mm-hmm. And I don't – I steal 100 bucks from me. I don't have 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if I do, I pay back the 100 I stole plus 100 from myself. I do to myself what I did to you. Mm-hmm. I learned a lesson from that. And then that's over. Now, let's suppose I stole 100 bucks because I don't have any money. Well, then I have to work off. I don't work off 200. I work off 100. But during that time, and this is interesting because we're going to get to this next thing. Because during that time, I you're the victim. I'm the perpetrator. So we know from that letter you're referring to, Philemon mm-hmm. and Onesimus and all that, mm-hmm. we know that if he's going back, this guy's probably a thief. And he's saying, I will pay his debt. Now, remember, if the debt is repaid, the guy goes free. And see, in other cultures, you know, we know there are cultures that would cut off a thief's hand, mm-hmm. but not in the Jewish culture. You don't take something for somebody they did not take. Or they would be under permanent Or they uh, might get five years in prison. Yeah. And if I put five years in prison, I have taken something from you that you never took. You took money, uh, and, I'm, and I'm taking five years of your life. So there is a, a lack of e- equivocation there. I'm mm-hmm. not equivocation, but equality. Uh-huh. And uh, so in other words, the the punishment does not match the crime. That's right. So it has to be the type of thing that was taken. And that's what they mean by the old Jewish slogan about an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. In other words, equality. Mm -hmm. What was taken is what you've got to do. So the punishment or the consequences must in some way line up with the the, the crime. That's the idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's not not vengeance. It's it's not a prescription for revenge. Mm -hmm. So actually what's happening is it is uh, it is fascinating that the book you just cited, because mm-hmm. it's a short book, but that, mm-hmm. he's actually saying, I will pay the debt. So, okay, so the guy's going to get his money back. That would relieve – that kind of tells us he's a thief. And then he says, receive him as you would receive me as a brother uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. in Christ. As uh-huh. a, now because Paul had led him to faith there in Rome uh-huh. and was sending him back uh, – uh, the man he was sending back was a changed man. Uh, Onesimus had sure. changed. He had, he had become a man of faith uh-huh. and was even willing then to go back to uh, uh, Philemon. It, it's a very interesting, but I remember you talking about that. Oh, no, the time is up. But, boy, do I want to continue with this thought when we come back. All right, we will do that for sure. We're going to continue our conversation about the book of Deuteronomy. You can give us a call if you'd like, 210 340 9585 210-340-9585 We'll come back and finish our discussion our final segment on the book of Deuteronomy tonight here on the Bible Live Quiz Show Don't go away This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. back. A star is Thanks born. for joining us. We will continue our last segment now of the Bible Live, the quiz show here. We were talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Yes, we, were. Uh, we were talking about the, the, this idea of uh, slavery in uh, the Hebrew right. scriptures in the Old Testament. Uh, it was, it was, they, we used the word slavery yes, uh, a lot of times, but it it wasn't. It, it's, it depends the on the skill sense. and nature of the translator. Uh-huh. You can choose the word servant, or you can choose the word slave. But in the, according to the Bible, slavery, just enslaving people, mm-hmm. is forbidden by God, mm-hmm. and especially to the Jews. It's a death penalty for the Jews to have a slave, except in only two conditions: one, if I'm a thief, and as your example, Onesimus and mm-hmm. Philemon, mm-hmm. or. Two, that if I like I'm a baseball player, like I sign a contract for a million bucks, I'll play ball for you. So that period of time, ma'am, you're your contracted mm-hmm. servant. Contract labor. Yeah, mm-hmm. So so in the, only those two instances, the only time it's allowed by God. Otherwise, it's a death penalty. If you'd like to know where it occurs off the top of my head, it's Exodus twenty one sixteen or 15. Well, what was the idea of that I mentioned before when they went into battle and they would capture, let's say, yes, uh, uh, women or daughters right. or wives sure. you know, from, from right. war? Right. They Probably their husband may have been killed in the battle mm-hmm. or what? Whatever. Yes. Well, what is the idea of that? What would that would that be? Called if they saw slavery some woman, or? and like I say, believe it or not, some of the tradition was, and the cultural's understanding is, they would a lot of times the women adorn themselves, look pretty, because the reputation of the Jewish men were about women was much much better than uh-huh. the other people. Uh-huh. So they thought, you know, I'll have a good life. This guy may be nice to me, and you can only you're only supposed to have the one wife actually. Mm-hmm. So, but then it tells you as you go on in the passage you're talking about that you have to they have to shave their head, let the fingernails grow, all kinds of bad stuff. In other words, get away from this thing that made you lustful. Uh-huh. And once that lustfulness dies, if you're still interested, then you really do love her. Mm-hmm. You see, interesting. Okay. Now, let's going back to the slave. Uh-huh. Now, let's say. That when the slave, now it's interesting that so if the slave master comes and says, where's my slave? Have you seen him? And if you want to see it, it's in the movie uh, Abraham uh-huh. uh, starring Richard Harris, the actor. And 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 he, and uh, what's his name? Uh, um, starts with an E. Eleazar comes mm-hmm. and the slave ma- and the guy comes after him and he says, well, what does he owe you? And Abraham pays the debt, and he says, now he's free. And he turns around, and Eleazar says, well, so now I'm your slave. And Abraham says, no, no, no. We're forbidden to have slaves. You're free. Isn't but the, Yeah, the, and Eleazar was the, the uh, uh-huh. he was, what they call a, a bond slave. A uh, bond right? slave, yes. He was one who said, by choice, I desire to stay with this family. I desire to serve you. Well, we're going to, to get you. to that. Very, the very next thing we're going to. Okay. Do you happen to because have a, Paul in the New Testament calls himself a bond, a bond slave, slave of Jesus, yes. Jesus yes. the Christ. Uh-huh. So uh, the bond slave relationship is something that needs to be expanded upon. Well, so do you happen to have a Bible? chapter 15 as well, right? Do you have a Bible with yeah, I you? I do. I have it right here. Look at chapter 15 of Deuteronomy. Uh-huh. I've got it. And let's see. Why don't we read, let's see. I don't know how about your versions. Um... Uh, let's see here. Um, well, mine starts at 13. Yours, I, I'm guessing yours must be 13 or 12. I'm mm-hmm. guessing. If a fellow Hebrew 
sells himself or herself to be your servant uh-huh. and serves a baseball you, player, a contractor, uh-huh, and serves you for six years. In the seventh year, you must set the servant free. Uh-huh. When you release a male servant, do not send him empty-handed. This is something you've made us clear. You had to give him a generous farewell gift. You had to have taught him how to make a living, uh, right? Am I true? Yeah, yeah. And, and so you you, um, you you bless them as they leave, and you, you take that as a matter of ministry, exactly, into his well, life. Well, you're a victim. Let's say he stole from you. Uh-huh. And let's say I stole a thousand dollars from mm-hmm. you. I don't have two thousand to pay you, so I got to work off one thousand. I got it. During that one time, you're the victim. I'm the perpetrator. But yet, you got to teach me the Bible, and then when I go free, you have to. It's amazing. You're the victim, mm-hmm. and yet your responsibility is to teach me right from wrong, because obviously I don't know it. And so you're going to help set me up in business. So I don't ever have to be a thief again. So I've taught you God's laws, the Bible, the Torah, actually. And I'm help setting you up. And now we're going to talk away. So the, a, 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 a priority of this oh. process is reformation. In other words, we're helping right. you to build a new life. Right. And, cha- and, and part of the responsibility falls on the victim. That You it have the does. privilege of helping to restore right. this person to uh, right. become the, a productive member of society. That's right. That's right. And the only time I'm aware of. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, that uh, somebody was incarcerated in the Torah was that what, man who who was picked up sticks. He up was sticks. making idol, and they said, "Well, we don't know what to do with him." And I said, "Hold him in custody till God decides tomorrow." So that's the only time that I'm aware of, and I think it's in Numbers, I believe. Yeah, we read it. I talked about it last week, yeah. I believe. And so what happens is, yeah, one so, time, one night, because <laughs> they didn't know what to do with him, uh, and and then. Uh, they, his case was right. disposed of. But look at this. Suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because okay, so he loves you. Okay, so let's put you. this in context because uh-huh. I know you like context mm-hmm. as opposed to protext. And so uh, <laughs> so in context, he's now complete. He's paid off the $1,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he says, and he says, okay, hey, you're free. Everything's good now. You've learned a little Torah. I'm going to give you some sheep to help set you up so you can go have your own flock and you can be a, a free guy and you know right from wrong. And, and then I say, I don't want to leave you because I love you and your family. I've done well with you. And in that case, it says you take an awl, a uh-huh. sharp object there, uh-huh. like uh-huh. a nail or something. You push it through his earlobe into the door. And after that, he will be your servant for life and do and do the same for your female servants as well. So no. this was what is called a bond slave. No, this is actually something a little different. Okay. The reason why, the reason it says take him to the door. Mm-hmm. And you by the door is where you put this awl, this little mm-hmm. pinprick in his ear. And the reason you do that, it's meant to say, this is for the ear that will not listen that he's free. Because freedom is the ultimate. Mm-hmm. Slavery is forbidden by God, especially to the Jews. And so, and it's fact, it's a death penalty. But so, but if he doesn't want to leave, and he says, no, I don't want to go. I've really had a good here. It's the best living I've ever made. I want to stay. So you got to take him to the door because one more step and he's free. He's mm-hmm. out the door. Mm-hmm. And that's where you put the little thing in his ear, the little hole. And this means it's about this is to the ear that will not listen that he's free. Now this was I know this is Abraham was long before Moses in this law, but yes. is this what Eleazar 
had done, maybe? Yes, be, yes, yes, sure, extent. sure. If you go back and you're careful with what you're reading, you'll find this kind of transaction took place. Uh, so, and this is not called a bond slave? No, a bond slave is where, like a baseball player, something like that, where uh, I can't, for example, let's suppose I stole $1,000, and I can't pay you back. Yeah. But you're, but uh, our producer, John, just a sweetheart, and he comes over and he says, you know, I really like Jacob. I'm going to give you the thousand bucks. Except you say, no, no, he works for a thousand, or you got to pay me two. And John says, well, okay, I'll pay you the two. You drive a hard bargain, but okay. So now you get your money. Now, I can go to work for John mm-hmm. for that period of time because he just paid my bill. And so I'll work for him for only a thousand until I pay it off. And now it becomes his responsibility to teach me the Torah, God's laws, right from wrong, that kind of thing. Now, that that can happen. Now, there's only one instance that that doesn't take place. You know what it is? It's actually Paul makes reference to it. You got the right guy. Kidnapping? No, uh, uh, no, no. Kidnapping, that's not. That's a death penalty. He makes reference to it. Um, I don't know. Uh-huh. I, it's when. I'm drawing a blank. When, when you have caused the death of somebody. Uh-huh. Like, if I caused a death, it's just not theft. Mm-hmm. But I caused the death. Now, I can't repay the life that was taken. So I, what do I do? I could end up being a servant for life. That's why Paul refers to himself as a bondservant of Jesus or a slave, some mm-hmm. translations mm-hmm. say, because he evidently participated in the death of Jesus. Now, Jesus was an innocent man. Are you talking about Paul now? I am talking about Paul. Well, he did participate, in, we know, in the death of Stephen. He did, The sure. first Christian martyr. But he refers he's a, a bondservant of Jesus, mm-hmm. I believe. I could be wrong. I see. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, now why? I personally think, as you read in the, the Gospels, I think that he was probably, of the 70 members on the Sanhedrin, that voted for the death of Jesus. So he participated. Because right after that, he gets the letters of Damascus to go to Damascus. Mm -hmm. He didn't get the letters all of a sudden. They didn't pick him off the street. I think he probably was in that setting. And And the Sanhedrin was three concentric circles of 12 and then? Uh, 36, 24, 12. Okay. And so what happens is, you end up, and so... So he's probably in the 36, the outer circle. I would say young, young man with a goal, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a, he wants a plan. He wants mm-hmm. to do something. He wants to be somebody, you know. I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee in the ring. You I cannot hide from me. Yes, okay. We know Muhammad Ali. Yeah, there you go. But you stepped on my line, so... <laughs> I couldn't help uh, it. Uh, I know. You can't help yourself. <laughs> I yeah. can't help uh, it. But anyway, so, anyway, so here's... Uh, but so, yeah, Paul, he can't replace a life. Mm-hmm. So what does he give in place of that? A life, his life, ah, and you see that you see that kind of transaction going on with David, because David caused the mm-hmm. death of the who should have been Solomon's father, uh-huh. Uriah. Yeah, the Uriah uh-huh. the Hittite. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, what did David do? Solomon should have never been king of Israel. It should have been somebody else, mm-hmm. but because of David's wrongness, his lustfulness, whatever, and the participating in the death of Uriah. Mm-hmm. He took whatever he had, the most valuable thing he had, the kingship, the, throne, the kingdom, yeah. and he gave it to. In fact, there's a, there's a line in the Proverbs that says, Solomon says, my mother Bathsheba crowned me king of Israel. Isn't that mm-hmm, interesting? Mm-hmm. So David gave what he had, 
And uh, but so that's fascinating. And then that caused the problems, of course, with the jealousy of one of his other sons who thought he was going to be king. And you got that whole mix and that um, whole terror happened. Turn into a miss. So what you got is sin usually does turn into yeah. a miss. Well, that's right. So what you got is the the slave is only two conditions, and uh, and so when you the guy's free, you are supposed to teach him during that time, and usually people steal money because they don't have money. And so they can't pay back double. They got to work off that. But you got to teach them. Then you got to help them set up. You shall furnish them liberally from your flock. It says. So mm-hmm. you help set them up with a few sheep, and they go free. Now they don't have to be a thief anymore. So you not only taught them right from wrong in the Bible, but you help set them up. Now, here is the zinger. You always like to talk about modern culture, don't uh-huh. you? Yeah, I do. Well, here's the zinger. Here's the zinger. What happens? I don't know, and I understand all the reasons, but what would happen in our society in America if we said, you know what, we're going to implement some of this? Now, it does require a person to be willing to do it. If he's not willing to do it, then you got yourself another problem, perhaps prisons or jails. But, you know, what happens if the idea is restoration, returning to God, rather than the punishment? Because when they say, I'm going to give you 10 years for stealing 2,000 bucks, you're not giving him two years. You're taking something that was he never took. That's the idea of the Torah. Now, it does require the perpetrator to be willing to accept this. Now, if he doesn't, I guess incarceration might be the answer. But I'm just saying it's fascinating to me that we say this is a Judeo-Christian country. It's fascinating to me that I don't know that this has ever been implemented except in the beginning of America. Did mm-hmm. you know that? Hmm. Yeah. So let's say, you know what, people raise their hands in a courtroom, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning in America, uh, the reason they had raised their hands, actually in the old-time biblical times, they put their hands on their genitalia, mm-hmm. on their private parts, uh, because they were kind of cursing their future generations. So, but that was in the past. But in America, we started raising our hands. The reason you're raising your hand is you're showing that there's no P in your hand, mm-hmm. the letter P. And that was meant to show that I'm not, I, I have never been accused of a crime because if you were, they'd kind of brand a P in your hand, which means you had been accused of a crime. You had your one bite of the apple, let's say, and you, were, and you would be released in the care of somebody to go work off your crime, and you didn't go to prison. You had a chance if you're a decent guy, I guess to go work off whatever you've done. And so you hold your hand up saying, see, I have no letter P in my hand, so I've never committed a crime, but if you hold up and there's a letter P, that means that you're a habitual criminal. Mm-hmm. So that's a different matter. But isn't that fascinating? It is fascinating. I never knew any of that, actually. Okay, well. <laughs> now I know, right? Well, there is something else I wanted to, mention, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, we've often talked about Jesus and this woman from Phoenicia that he seems to call a dog. It's spoken oh, of. that's back in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy. It, it, that, and so he was not calling the woman a dog no. uh, in that passage. Would you be, do you happen to have a Bible with you this I, evening? I, I've already answered that question. Oh, I, I, I have a times. short memory. Yeah, I know. That's 23, and I think it's in my version it's 16, 7, or so 17, 18. So it is your 18. thought as you read that story, you thought Jesus is referring to this passage in Deuteronomy. Well, I'm pretty sure he was. He's Jewish. Uh, all right. Yeah, that, that's true. He was. We do forget that, don't we, at times. Where is it? Chapter uh, uh, Well, in my version, it would be uh, 
18:19 No Israelite whether man or woman may become a temple prostitute when you are bringing an offering to fulfill a vow you must not bring to the house of the Lord your God any offering from the earnings of a prostitute whether a man or a woman or for both a Hebrew a dog hmm okay dog or a woman for both mm-hmm. are detestable to the Lord your God and the version that I'm using says you shall not bring a harlot's hire or the exchange for a dog to the house of God. Oh, In other dear. words, the money it's earned by prostitution <clears throat> or being a dog. And dog was considered a temple prostitute. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to suggest that Jesus was not being cruel to a woman that asked for help for her daughter. Now, I've heard the stories. I know that because she comes up and says, hey, would you help my daughter? And Jesus says, it's not right to give this to, these crumbs to a, a give bread to the dogs. Mm-hmm. And people don't like it that Jesus said it, so they say, well, it was a cultural thing. No, no, it was just a cultural the thing. The Hebrews called all Gentiles dogs. That yeah, was I've, a I've heard name. that. Yeah. I've heard that. That's not true. This woman, her, her daughter, may or have been maybe a, a son. Maybe a little boy, because they also use boys and girls, but they dressed them up like girls. Mm-hmm. And the old Hebrew was that they referred to a dog because we know the characteristics, even in today's world, of a dog. It will mate with anything. Mm-hmm. So it was a dog. So if they got paid as a temple prostitute. So this woman in the story of Jesus, this dog, is actually a temple prostitute. So he's not calling her a dog because she's a Gentile. and No, so, but, no, but no, no, no. Referring to the scriptures here, right. he's talking about it to give the bread to And the if you dog. go back and look at the temple beginning prostitute. of those couple sentences, that the verses that introduce that thing, which just says, not right, to give the bread to the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um he begins, it says, a Cinco Phoenician woman. That's the clue. Mm-hmm. That tells you her religion. So she's a, she's making her daughter a temple prostitute. Mm-hmm. And there was some people that would make them actually become a temple prostitute. And then after the service to their God, their Lord, their temple, they do that. But then there's a fascinating story that goes on, and she says, but giving the dogs eat the crumbs. And I've heard the explanation that, oh, well, it has to do with... Uh, uh, Humility, brokenness. Yeah, yeah. She, Actually, she, no. I'm going to suggest this. That's her statement of conversion. Because if you look at the very next sentence from Jesus, the very next statement, he says, your faith has healed you. That's her statement of conversion. I'm giving up being a temple prostitute. I'm giving up all this foreign God. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. Then he heals her daughter. Uh, I know we got a couple of calls. We you want do. to take a friend of yours? I think that's a very interesting insight, though, because uh, that's a passage that confuses a lot of people. Uh, I understand. About, uh, did Jesus go around calling people dogs? You know, and uh, I, I think it's a much better. It seems to me much. Clearer. Well, it's right here, and we know in the Jews uh, and in the Deuteronomy, it refers to a dog as being a temple prostitute. All right, let's go to Ruth, calling in here from San Antonio. I think uh, uh, if I am I right that this is the Ruth that helps. uh, It is helping to represent the movie uh, uh, here in San Antonio. Yes, thank you very much, and I've seen it, and it is a wonderful movie. Oh, but I also wanted to make another plug. What's that? You got an advanced uh, viewing of the movie, huh? Well, I did, because he doesn't want us to... Um, he wants us to know that what we're doing is... You know, of course, we would know. We've trusted Rich's movies all along. He's got uh-huh. four others that are fabulous. But um, if, doc, you know, if pastors want to view it before they recommend it to their congregations, they can do that, because right. you know he doesn't want... You know, you can always sneak something in that a pastor might not approve of, and he needs to know what it mm-hmm. is. But anyway, so we did get advanced... 
But I also wanted to mention that we have a local talent in the movie. Um, our daughter Rhonda has um, three That's scenes in it, right. and um, so she she graduated from Clemens High School, taught at San Antonio Christian Schools with theater and Clemens, and so I'm just thinking if there's people out there she's lost touch with that they might want to come and see the movie just sure. for the fun of it. Sure. I mean, aside from obviously for the movie, but if they don't want to come for the movie, they should you know might want to come to see Rhonda anyway. I would <laughs> no prejudice involved, but I wanted to mention that for Rhonda. Anybody who might know her that has lost touch with her. Ruth, so, tell me anyway. about how you and Lee got involved with Rich Cristiano and, and the uh, okay. industry. Well, years ago, Vision, Vision Forum had the um, San Antonio Christian Worldview Film Festival kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I don't know how long ago it was, 2007? I don't know how long ago it was. But um, Rich is very cordial, and he was a speaker, and um, he was walking out to have lunch downtown San Antonio, and we happened to be going at the same time, so we just went and had lunch together. And so um, at that time, he was working on Unidentified, and my husband grew up loving UFOs, mm-hmm. so he sent him some UFO information, and uh, so we just got to know him through those different movies. And we actually helped bring Time, Chamber, cha- time Changer last year, and A Matter of Faith the year before, and uh, our church was very supportive of that. So, is, that effort. Is getting better? Are the movies, is he improving his skills? Would you? Well, I'll tell you what, you'd have to ask my daughter. I'm not that. I just know a good message, and I loved his message, and I loved all, I love all of them. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I, he's got, like he said, he believes this is his best total cast, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's probably quite true. I mean, some of it, you know, I think he's improved in, in, casting selections and um, I don't know a lot about the technical stuff but I just know I absolutely love all of them mm-hmm. and he's get, he, he writes his own scripts and he's got a lot of good humor in him so it's just really fun oh, aside good. from being spiritually <laughs> edifying and encouraging and challenging they're just also plain fun what did so, your daughter say about the experience well I don't know um, that much about what she said about the experience because she wasn't, you know, she didn't get to meet a lot of the people. She just mm-hmm. had one day actually. Mm-hmm. She only filmed one day and uh, didn't get to meet the the big wigs that are in the yeah, talent. I think so. Sometimes uh-huh. you think of a movie as you know they're all just going straight through life every day, but really yeah. they go and, and film one scene or a couple of scenes, or they put all of your scenes together on one day yeah. to to make, to be efficient. And then you don't meet, really, maybe a lot of the other cast members because they're not in that particular scene and all. It's so interesting to me. And at the end, they piece it all together. And and, uh, a lot of the people in the movie have not even seen the whole thing, and they're going to see it for the first time themselves. Absolutely. She has not seen it. Um, We're waiting for her to see it on the big screen herself. (laughs) So she hasn't seen it yet. And... um, it's interesting how you can make a movie. I mean, you're, you know, she may be talking to her daughter in the movie, but she's not talking to her daughter at the, at the theater. I mean, in the, um, in the shot. In the shot, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really intriguing. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it really is. Does, uh, will she be there on Tuesday evening, do you think? Actually, she is going to see it, yes. This well, will be her first wonderful. time seeing it. Yeah, we're so excited about it for her. A little secret to know. You can go. Yeah, isn't that fun? I think that's a real plus. Meet her, having been in the film. Well, I do appreciate you guys. I'm glad y'all got to know these people and that you're represent these films to our community. Hopefully, let me just butt in real quick. I'm more of the technical guy, and yes, Rich has proved fantastic 
on his continuity and his cinematography. Uh, This is the top best film that he has ever done. And it's such a smooth script that he works, uh, you know, like he said, don't preach, but reach. And that's what he does with this film. And I think churches and and uh, believers and even folks that are researching the faith will find this uh, a, 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 a an encouraging uh, time in the theater. Wonderful, Lee. Well, we appreciate what you guys do and, and all of that. Did you have something else? Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to mention something about yeah, the book of Deuteronomy or not. But, yeah, our time is gone. Okay. Uh, I guess we have to end it there. Thanks thank so much. Guys. We appreciate it. Okay, you thank so you. And well, I do want to say, before we go, that always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Exactly right. And join us again next week at this same time. And listen to the Bible Live. We'll start the book of Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, the book of Mark this week on our Bible readings Monday through Friday on this station. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.